We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together, and we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I'm James Hamm, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me today, Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse Podcast. Brendan, how are you? I am doing good, James. Uh, no Mr. Cunningham today. Hopefully all safe travels on his way to Philadelphia, but just us two. Yeah, he's living that good life. He's headed to the <laughs> NFC Championship game. Um, that would be fun. It would be fun to go cover some of that stuff. I mean, I've covered 49ers and Raiders games, uh, A's games, other sports, but uh, going to a big game would be fun like that. Uh, yeah, so, so Sean is traveling today. Uh, he had a 6 a.m. flight, so uh, kudos to whoever booked that uh, for killing Sean Cunningham and uh, completely destroying his night's sleep because um, I'm sure he probably didn't even go to bed. Like, I wouldn't uh, – well, yeah, I don't think I would have been able to go to bed. You got you to gotta be to the airport by, like, 4.45, 5 o'clock. Oh, that's brutal. He was at uh, Golden 1 until at least midnight. Yeah, he was there when I left at – uh, it, it was an early le- night last night, what, 1030? Um, but he was still there when I left. I don't know. Uh, I- I'm assuming he was there at least until 11, 1130. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. That's the life of Sean Cunningham. He is, uh, for people who don't know, he is a hustler. Um, that guy is working nonstop, um, like the rest of us, but like he does cover a ton of things all over town all the time. And uh, it it's it's cool that he gets to go to a big event like that, but he's also going to be working the entire time, and it's just nonstop. Never ends, never ends. Um, let's, uh, Brendan, uh, let's get to the business first. Um, if you're watching on YouTube and you don't mind, can you give us a thumbs up? Our live show on Tuesday night was wild. We had like 280 guests. What wow. was our peak, I think, 280 plus um you know and the the ratings and reviews the likes all that stuff it does help the algorithm it helps 
uh, put the podcast out to more people to build more subscribers and all that stuff. So if you're not a subscriber and you're just new to the show and you don't mind, subscribe to the Kings Beat uh, YouTube channel. Also, we have uh, Off the Record with the Kings Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 11. We're calling this The Columnist, uh, Aileen Voisson. Uh, long time. She's no longer with Sacramento Bee, uh, but she covered the Sacramento Kings for roughly 20 years, uh, but the NBA for much, much longer. She is one of the absolute legends of the game. She is a groundbreaker, uh, one of the first female reporters to gain access to the locker room and everything else that we've seen um, over the transformation of professional sports since the, the 1980s. Um, she covered the 1992 uh, uh, Dream Team. She is one of, I think, six that were like on the road covering the Dream Team. Um, she's got some crazy stories. Uh, of course, her uh, her love hate relationship with Demarcus Cousins. All these things, I'm sure, will will come up on the podcast uh, on the Happy Hour. So, uh, if you want to join us for the happy hour, it's next Thursday, February 2nd from 5:30 to 7:30, um, and you have to be a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. It's only seven bucks for a premium subscription. It's uh, super affordable, um, 75 bucks for a year. Um, so jump on board with the King's Beat, and you get access to all the happy hours and to all of the content that we have at the King's Beat. Um, you also get 20% off the merch merchandise shop when you uh, become a premium subscriber there's codes for uh, that are hidden inside of the emails for premium subscribers that you can use to uh to get 20 percent off all your merchandise purchases um brendan that was a lot uh <laughs> how are you this morning i'm doing good uh nothing too special i think a lot of people seem to be down maybe hopefully they've recovered by this morning uh but a lot of people seem to be down about last night's game and while it was a tough watching experience I think uh, some perspectives important to keep. The Kings have won seven of nine. Are still sitting at third in the Western Conference, um, but I- I'm sure we're gonna. I- I'd imagine we're gonna start talking about last night's game, and I do think there are notable takeaways. Like this isn't the first time we've seen them lose in this fashion. Yeah, I mean, in this fashion, yes. Uh, I- well, okay, so specifically. I mean more so like offensive rebounds and turnovers. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we've seen that. But I think this is the first time I thought that the Kings, maybe the Philadelphia game, the the first Philadelphia game, I thought they got manhandled. This game, I thought, like, first of all, why is Toronto not good? I don't yeah. understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, when you look at the roster, um, like – the Kings, like a guy like Fred Van Vliet, you could find a way to fit him into the Sacramento Kings roster. A guy like Gary Trent, a guy like OG Ananobi, uh, Pascal Siakam, like Precious Achua. Just keep going down the list. Like how many players do they have? Chris Boucher, like all of these players that they have on their roster that you're like, man, wouldn't he be nice to have on the Sacramento? A Scotty, a Scotty Barnes. Like all of these players would fit on the Sacramento Kings roster and you're watching them they're long, they're athletic, they're physical, they enforce their will on the Sacramento Kings, they dictated the pace of the game, they held the highest scoring offense in the NBA to 95 points, and they're like five games under 500 or four games under 500. Like, Brendan, was there something that you saw that you're like, hmm, how is this team not good? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I admittedly keep a lot closer eye on the Western Conference than the East. Um, but I, I think that Toronto just has so much length and size, versatility. Like their switch, everything seemed to really bother the Kings. And I, I think that's something that we heard a couple teams, t- a couple of the players talk about on Sacramento's roster that this is pretty unique. You know, like I, I think that Malik compared them to Boston, but that's also the team that's the best team in the league like I I think Boston is also I guess maybe if there's two of them it's not necessarily unique but they are the outliers there's not many teams that can roll out uh lineups for extended stretches where their shortest player is OG Ananobi who's like six six or six seven six seven yeah yeah I I think that uh Kevin Herter mentioned there was a time they had like three centers on the floor yeah it was crazy I was watching for most of the game they had like like huge huge like the like you said, OG was the shortest dude, but we're talking like six, seven and then six, nine, six, nine, six, 10, six, 11. Like that's what their lineup was. I mean, it was crazy to watch. And one of the biggest guys out there is the one bringing the ball up the floor and kind of initiating their offense. Um, so I, I think that just kind of switching everything, the Kings in a way just got too caught up in trying to take advantage of mismatches at times, I thought, and trying to force things. Um, the turnovers were, were obviously an issue. And I I think that's one of the more broad takeaways of this game. 19 overall, 19 turnovers, a a career high nine for DeMontis Sabonis right after he had tied his previous career high with eight in the game prior against Memphis. Um, I think it was four of the game against Philly, the game prior to that against, I can't think right now, but, uh, he had six in the game prior to that. Like Domas has had a decent amount of turnovers as of late. And I thought it was interesting to hear coach talk about that a little bit. Um, I think that teams are playing him differently. And obviously Toronto is a team specifically that defensively is going to really bother you, take away your first action. Um, And I think we've seen Domas be bothered, but I don't really have concerns that he's not going to uh, adjust. And if he, if it takes scoring more because people are expecting him to be pass first, I'm sure he'll do that. We've seen him do that throughout the course of this season. Um, But I think that this size and versatility switch everything defense really did bother the Kings. Um, but this is the lowest scoring outing they've had all year. I think the second lowest was a 99 point game. This team averages 120 and they did hold. I don't know if hold is the right term, but Toronto put up 113. Like if you have your typical offensive outing defensively, the Kings were kind of okay for their own standards in this game. Um, so I, I think it's all relative, but obviously it was disappointing when when you're turning over the ball the way that you did. And and they gave themselves a chance in that fourth quarter. It looked like that maybe they were going to bring it back. And then just offensive rebounds seemed to be uh, the killer to me. And that's an effort issue. It, it's as simple as making sure that you are putting a body on someone and and completely engaged and and not allowing those. So every once in a while, these type of games are going to happen. Um, but obviously it, it wasn't a fun experience or, or thing to witness. Yeah, it was not fun to watch. Um, I, I think we've seen it over the last, uh, like you said, the last four games, um, Demonis Sabonis is averaging 6.8 turnovers per game. Um, that can't be something that continues to happen. But I'll also tell you that uh, those games, um, first of all, Memphis, number one in the league in defensive rating. 
uh, Philadelphia, number seven in the league in defensive rating, Oklahoma City, number nine in the league in defensive rating, and of course the Raptors are uh, are number sixteen in the league in defensive rating. But again, I like you're not going to be able to explain to me what's happened to that Raptors team. Like I was around that team quite a bit a few years ago um, when you know they made it to the NBA Finals, won the NBA Finals. Like Nick Nurse is an incredible coach. Like. I don't know how how that's happening and, and why they aren't gelling and why they aren't figuring things out. It might be that they don't have what you would consider like true knockdown three point shooters all over the place. They they're very limited in that way because they are so like six foot nine, six foot ten, six foot eleven, like big man heavy as far as a roster. Um, but yeah, like I, I worry that uh, there are teams around the league that are kind of watching tape of this and, and figuring out that if you just send two or three people at Demonis Sabonis, that you're going to cause problems. And, 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 you know, for the first time, I think maybe not all season, like there might've been one or two other times, but Domas got so frustrated. Like he was ready to punch a chair. Um, he wasn't, he kept calling for the ball. He kept uh, like calling for fouls. Um, you know, Fox picked up a, his 10th technical as well on like one of the more, more blatant, ridiculous travels that, that I've seen. Siakam took like, like three or four steps on a fast break and Fox got pissed about the non-call. Um, but like, do you think the teams are, this is what we're going to see from, for the next couple of weeks, teams trying to, you know, throw this look at Sabonis. I think so. I, I think just pressuring him, like, you know, he's not somebody that's going to take jumpers from where he's doing these dribble handoffs. Like maybe here and there, you'll see one or two of them a game at most. But I think just it's important to still pressure those distributors. And I think that we're seeing that more often. I think it's something we're going to continue to see. And it was just a matter of time before, like when you're one of the better teams in the league, which it's crazy, but we get to say that about the Kings at this point, um, that teams are going to focus more on your style and, and how to counter it. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing. Um, but, but like I said before, I, I also have full confidence in the coaching staff and players on this team, specifically at the top of DeMontis Sabonis, who, who we've seen impacted as of late to figure out a way to counter that, you know, like I think that coach compared, um, it to kind of how he's seen teams defend Draymond while they were in Golden State, that he knows they want to pass first. So they kind of fake show the help, but know that they're going to still get back out to shooters. And the big difference between Draymond and Domas is that if Domas needs to score, Domas is scoring. And so I, I think that if he needs to make that mindset adjustment and flip that switch, that he's going to do it. Like we've seen him put up who knows how many games with 20 plus points. Like he's very capable of doing that, leading the team in scoring. If that's what's need be based on how opposing teams are defending him. And I think that maybe is what we're going to need to see a little bit more. So as we move forward here, because uh, teams are trying to limit his playmaking. And if, like I said, if that takes him scoring more, I fully expect we see that. I think that coach Brown and, and the rest of the coaching staff will, uh, take a, a fine comb over this game and figure out the details of how to not let this happen moving forward. But absolutely, there's a theme over these last couple of games of like 
teams are starting to figure out the weaknesses of the Sacramento Kings team and, and trying to exploit it. Yeah, and I think we should also note that in saying that, haven't the Kings won eight out, eight out of their last 10? So yeah. while they teams are like figuring out ways to exploit something, um, the Kings are still winning. They're still successful. Now, part of that's because they're playing a bunch of teams that are under 500, um, which, of course, Toronto is under 500. So it's a little, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a great loss, to be honest. It wasn't a great loss. But um, I, I also think we need to, like you mentioned, that Domas isn't taking that jump that jump shot. Um, over his last 12 games, um, he's only taken like 14 threes, and he's only hit two. Uh, last night was the first time he'd hit a, a three-point shot in six games. And I know it's not something that we worry about as like a huge part of his game, but it's also something that he could help. Like, like that would help space out the floor. It would help uh, at least open lanes for Fox when he's trying to do stuff. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a little clunky and, you know, like Thursday overreactions. Um, I, I don't think that the Kings have been completely figured out and this thing is going to go sideways. Um you know, that's just not the way it looks. The Kings have made adjustments all season long, and they continue to trudge through the season, like putting up 120 almost every game. Uh, 130, I don't know how many times a season they put up 130, but it's a lot. It's like 12 or 13 times a season, um, and, and I could probably look that up. But, uh, Brendan, is this something that, that you think that, you know, the Kings should be really concerned about? Just they're about to embark on a seven-game road trip, and, uh, you know, here they are losing a game that you really wish that they wouldn't have on their way out the door. No, I don't think so. Like, you know, how different is this conversation if they were able to to pull off that that comeback at the end, which they didn't get super close. But I think getting within, what, 12 or so points, like when you're crazily enough, still the best offense in the league because Denver, I think, scored 99 last night. And that's the team they're kind of neck and neck with. Um it, they did kind of get a little bit close, but I don't think so. I, I mean, we've heard Coach Brown talk so much about, like, you're going to hit adversity throughout the course of the year. It's about how you respond. So I, I think that we're kind of seeing the adversity. And again, like you said, they've won eight of the last 10, seven of the last nine, whatever it is. Um, and But it, it's about how do you respond to this. So if it carryovers and we see it continue, then sure, I'll start to be concerned. But as of right now... Um, even coach said like, sure, it's frustrating that we lost, but it's a growing opportunity and I need to see how we bounce back. And I guess that's where I'm at as well. Like this is, it was a frustrating experience for sure. It's not the way that you want to end your homestand. We've talked so much about needing to protect home court. The Kings have one of the better records, if not still the best record on the road in the Western conference. Uh, but their home record's not the same as as some of those teams in the top as well. So there's importance to that. But it, it to me, it's about how they respond. I don't think that we've seen enough of this happening over and over or anything like that where I'm at a point where I'm concerned. Um, but it's going to be about how they, how they go about um, responding to this and what clearly teams are starting to defend them a little bit differently. And what we'll see how that goes headed into uh, these two games in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Kings do have the best road record in the Western Conference. They're one of only two teams that are over 500. They're 11 and 9. The only other team is Denver, Denver, who is 12 and 11. Um, and, and it's kind of strange. You look at the top of the Western Conference standings, 
and there was a group of teams that started to pull away. Uh, Denver has a one-game losing streak. Memphis now has a four-game losing streak, and they just lost Steven Adams for three to five weeks. That's going to be impactful. Uh, the Kings have the one-game losing streak, and then the Pelicans, who are a step behind the Kings, all of a sudden can't win a game, and they've lost six in a row. And wow. they're starting to get healthy. They got Brandon Ingram back. Um, but they're now uh, two games behind the Kings, and that's coming off the Kings' loss. You know, that would have been substantially different if it, were, if it wasn't for the Kings' loss last night. Um, the Kings currently sit uh, four games above the Jazz at the 10 spot, but four and a half above Oklahoma City, Portland, and uh, that are, you know, number 11 and 12, and then the Lakers are number 13. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's a really, really strange season. If you if you look at it, I mean the Lakers right now, Brandon, check this out. The Lakers are one in nine in their division. <laughs> one in nine, man. Like what in the world is wow. is happening? I mean, to me that's that's crazy. The fact that the Kings are five and five in division is great, uh, because it's a tough division. And the you know, the Kings are sixteen and eleven at home. That's what you're mentioning. And the teams are like, eight and zero oh in the division. Wow. Oh yeah, the Suns are eight zero. So everyone wants to write off the Suns, uh, but yeah, they're eight zero in division. Like they're gonna be, it's gonna be a mad rush here, especially like, the Kings could falter like on this seven game road trip. It's not a difficult seven game road trip. No, uh, it is not a difficult seven game road trip. I don't know if I froze or if James froze, but I'll keep it rolling here. Um, it is not a difficult seven game road trip. To James's point, they're gonna play Minnesota two games in a row. It is not a back-to-back, but it is two straight games in Minnesota on the 28th and then the 30th. And then when we get into February, there's only three home games for the Sacramento Kings in the entire month of February. And two of those are a back-to-back. But as we get into February, which is after those two Minnesota road games, do I have you here? Oh, I don't know how long I was out for. I don't know if it was my end or yours, but I kept rolling and I'll keep going a little bit through the road trip as you were kind of talking about. So, Oh yeah, we uh, like I don't know what happened. I, I don't know when we got lost. I was reading the road trip just like you were. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't and go. know which side picked up, so we'll just keep rolling. Um, they they have those two games against Minnesota. To your point, it's not a very difficult road trip, but it is seven games on the road. Uh, two games against Minnesota, not a back to back, but two straight games against the same team: San Antonio, Indiana, um, and then you have New Orleans. And then the second night after you play New Orleans, you go straight to Houston. And then one day in between before you play that same Rockets team for the second game in a row. Um, But not not an overwhelming road trip, but an opportunity to kind of um, solidify yourself even more so as a team that can threaten home court advantage in the Western Conference playoffs as we get um, further and further into this season. But what are you kind of hoping to to see throughout the the course of these seven games? It's funny you uh, you say, you know, like where are you going to be like the where if you want to host a road a host a playoff series it's something that um harrison barnes said the other day he's like yeah you know if we want to host a playoff series and i looked at him i'm like did you just say like host playoff series and he just smiled like i did say that yeah yeah host a playoff series isn't what that a world isn't it kind of strange what a world yeah exactly um so uh like yeah like there are seven winnable games on the road trip like, I don't know, like, how many they will win. Like, if I were to predict, 
I think like if you didn't go four and three, the Kings should be disappointed. But you could do better than that. Like we've seen this team go on the road on occasion, and like they've been tough this year, and they seem to take things one game at a time. I'm not even worried about the back to back. The back to back is New Orleans and and Houston. First of all, that's an easy flight. Uh, it's not far at all, and so you're you're not gonna have like this weird like lag. Uh, and then Houston's just not good. Like, can you get beat by Houston? Sure you can. But, you know, you can also get beat by, I don't know, the Wizards and... Uh, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte. <laughs> uh, yeah, Charlotte, what, the, still the worst team in the league or second worst behind mm-hmm. uh, Houston. Um, yeah, I don't know. Brennan, if you were to put a number on it, what would you expect out of the, the seven-game road trip? Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it until... You mentioned it right now. I, I mean, I think four and three sounds realistic, but like I've kind of bought in a lot more recently. I was hesitant about this whole three seed when they first uh, kind of got to that point, but I'm starting to believe a little bit more. And, you know, there's there's some ups and downs, like while Trey Lyles' emergence is great, Malik Monk has really been struggling um, but I think both Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray have been playing great. The entire starting lineup to me is phenomenal. Um, and so I'm feeling good. I, I think five and two, I mean, I think six and one is realistic. Like, um, but if if I had to guess, I'll go five and two. I, I think that Minnesota is is doing all right as of late. Like D'Angelo Russell has has kind of emerged. Um, and New Orleans getting, I know they've lost, what was it, five or six in a row. Uh, but Brandon Ingram's, did just get back, which I think is obviously a huge part of their team. So, and, and you never know with these other teams like San Antonio, Indiana. I don't know about Houston necessarily, but um, you never really know on any given night what some of these teams could be knocking down shots and, and still be competitive. So, I'll go five and two, and and I think that's that's totally realistic. Like I don't know that I'd be shocked if they won all seven necessarily. You know, I, I think it's it's reasonable, but if I have to guess, I'll go five and two. What about yourself? I think Trey Lyle said something about, like, yeah, we kind of feel like we could go out on the road and win all seven of them. Like, I was like, okay, first of all, Trey, Trey Lyles has started this new thing where he whispers to us. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. Like, sorry if I put the video out and you're like, what did he say? I, like, I don't know what he said either. He's whispering to us, and it's very strange. Uh, he gets he quieter did as he keeps talking. Yeah, as he keeps going, he gets quieter <laughs> and quieter, and you're like, man, is Trey Lyles going to disappear on us? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but uh, it's one of those things where he kind of quietly said, well, yeah, I mean, we we're kind of we're kind of going out on the road, and we think that we might be able to win all seven, and, you know, like, like what what the, what in the Sam hell is happening here, Brennan? <laughs> we could win all seven on the road. Uh, we might host a playoff series. Like, these are things that uh, – that me and my, um, you know, my Stockholm syndrome is not used to, uh, as I've covered this team for so long and watched so many losing seasons. And I think that it's adding an element to this season that's fun because you are starting to see the expectations change. Um, but I'll just cautious, like people get upset with me on, on D'Lo and Casey when I start talking about like, look, you have to understand the Kings win percentage is, is 574, right? Which is great. That's fine. But if we 82 times 0.574, that's 47 games. Like the three seed in the Western Conference, I don't think has ever only won 47 games. 
And, like, if this team is going to, like, if they're going to hang on and be a, a team that hosts a first-round series, they've got to they've got to have a stretch of games like this seven-game series, this seven-game road trip where they pick up three or four extra games to, to go above 500. And that's not easy. Like what you talked about, like, if they go five and two, that's four games over 500. Well, no, that's three games over 500 for the trip, right? That's not easy. Like, could they get to six and one? Maybe. Like, the seven and oh trip would be like stunning and would put this team at, uh, what, 34 and 20? Like, that would be, that would be stunning. But Jeez. I also, like, I'll, I'll just keep cautioning people, like, look, this team is three games away, three wins away from their win total last season, four wins away from the win total the previous two seasons before that. Like, there are a lot of players on this roster that are in uncharted waters completely. They don't know what this this feels like. Uh, even Harrison Barnes, like Harrison Barnes, clearly like he could have easily forgotten what this feels like to be in this type of situation. Um, let's let's go to like let's start talking about that uh, well, real real quick. I'll walk yeah. through. I pulled it up. Like forty seven wins last year would be the seven seed. The year yeah. prior to that. I will say there was more parity. Um, what was actually the three seed? The Denver Nuggets ended up with forty-seven wins, uh, and so did the LA Clippers that were four but, out of seventy-two. You know, that's correct. That's right. That's yeah. A good, so that's, that's a good not clarification. Yeah. So what's what's their win percentage that year? Um, it was six fifty-three. Six fifty-three. Okay. Yeah. That's that's fifty-three and a half wins. Gotcha. I okay. wouldn't have even thought of that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's the 31-win season for the Kings. And, and again, the Kings won back-to-back 31-win seasons. Uh, that was the equivalent of 35 wins. Mm-hmm. So, in a regular season. Not that I, I I have no idea whether the Kings would have gone 4-6 and six over their last 10 games and, and actually got there. Uh, anyway. Right. Um, but, no, I get your point. I mean, there's, there's a lot of – as great as the three seed sounds um it's still very close and you still need to prove that you are one of the better teams in the west you're sitting there now but now you you've kind of developed a bit of a target on your back as as teams are looking to uh deny any beam lighting and oh yeah try to uh put you back in your place i guess you could say so gotta gotta keep it up is all yeah, the lighting of the beam, I, I do feel like it, it has its positives, but it, it does have a little bit of negative uh, because I, I think other teams are, like, feeling that. They're like, okay, this is getting a little gimmicky, and uh, we don't like that happening on our heads. Um, so when the Kings return from the, the road trip, um, we're looking at, like, a, like, two games against Dallas back-to-back on a Friday, Saturday, the 10th and the 11th. Um, they follow that up with a game at Phoenix, and then they head uh, off for for the um, All Star Weekend. Um, you know, I, I was going to talk about Harrison, but let's skip to that um, All Star Weekend. Keegan Murray will be there, at rookie rookie ch- uh, sophomore game. Um, I don't think there's any question. I don't think Davion Mitchell will be there. Um, uh, that's just my guess at this point. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, outside of that, what do you think? Fox, Sabonis, one, both, neither. Um, like, I, I mean, it's tough. I think that Domas is there. 
Um, I think there's a good chance that Domas is a starter. You know, I think so too. I, I think that most media people we've we've seen kind of publicly sharing their ballot have Domas as a starter. And I, I know it goes beyond that. I think it's 50% fan vote, um, 25% players, and 25% media. But I, I think that Domas's impact is is very apparent. I think that players can really appreciate um, all the details of, of things he does well, of just like the impact of his screens and, and little things like that. I think that Domas, for sure in the game, there's a chance he's a starter. De'Aaron is tough. Um Honestly, feels like a coin flip to me. If I have to guess, I'm going no, just because I think, like, if you're talking about like him or like Damian Lillard, for example, which I think is a name that like the conversation could come down to. Dame has that star power. Dame has that uh, reputation. Like he dropped sixty last night. Like it, it's it's a little tough when you're talking about these guys that are known all stars and comparing De'Aaron. Or even if, you know, I don't, I don't think that Aaron Gordon's quite in that conversation for myself, but if you're talking about two guys needing to make it for the three seed, like there's some people that'll be like, well, two guys need to make it from the best team in the Western Conference. Um, and then look at Aaron Gordon as their number two. Like, I think it's a tough spot to be in for De'Aaron. I think that his case is strengthened depending on how people feel about um, injuries and games played. Because like Zion has been unavailable, Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, like there's there's more opportunity for that reason. It feels possible. Um, but if I had to guess, I, I think he's on the outside. Although I wouldn't be surprised to see him in there. And and Domas, I, I'm kind of expecting to be a starter. Yeah, I mean, do we even know when uh, Devin Booker will be back? Will he be back by the All Star week? Uh, by the All Star game? Because he's a guy that I think like they could put on the team um, and then injury replace. So I think Fox has – I think I, I agree with you. It's a coin flip as to whether he gets in. Um, but I also think that if he doesn't get in, there's a good possibility that he's in as like the first injury sub, which is the same thing. I mean, it, 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 you're still making it because I, I think a lot of guys get in on star power, like what you talked about. I mean, the Portland Trailblazers, I don't care if he's scoring 60. The Portland Trailblazers are three games under 500. They're not a good team. And I think that that's a, like, a legitimate concern that they're not a good team. Um, and, and then Zion. Zion hasn't played enough games. Like, I, I get it. People love him. But, man, you got to actually play the game. And, like, people always say, oh, like, who would you start your franchise with? And they give you, like, a list of players. Like, Zion's the last on the list. Because, like, look, man, the guy hasn't played hardly at all. Like, has he played more than Marvin Bagley? A few games. But really not much over the course of, <laughs> of their career. Like, if you look at how many games played for the same amount of time, like, the guy just can't stay healthy. And, you know, I, I feel for him because that's, you know, it's not something that he can – he can, you know, help a lot of the time, but some of it, it is on him. It is, you know, not doing the work or it's not um, just being able to stay on the court and, or, or not doing your rehab quick enough. Um, yeah. He, again, he's going to be reevaluated in another two weeks that should put him out through the all-star weekend. Um, and it would be kind of, for me, again, we're talking about a guy who hasn't played that many minutes on the season 
You know, when you're looking at Fox, Fox has played a ton of minutes. When you're looking at um, a guy like Zion, Zion's played 956 minutes. His own teammate, CJ McCollum, has played almost uh, 600 more minutes than him, uh, 1,546 minutes. Like, the disparity there, that's crazy. And, And CJ's missed five games. So, like, that's... We're talking about a guy who just can't stay on the court versus a guy like Fox who has had some injury problems over the course. And like, I don't know why we're comparing these guys because realistically um, it's going to go, what do you, you have your three front court and two back court as starters. And then it goes to two front court and two back court as bench and then two at large. Right. I think it's um, the same as the starting, right? The three, Oh, three and two. Court, three and two. Yeah, three and two, three and two, and then two wild cards. Okay, so Fox has basically, if he's not a starter, which he won't be a starter, mm-hmm. he basically has four opportunities to get in. Um, right. You know, that's that's what it's going to come down to. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It just it just seems strange to me. Again, uh, Sabonis has played 600 more minutes than Zion Williamson. Uh, De'Aaron Fox has played 500 more minutes like that is a ton, a ton of minutes more. I mean, I I, I don't even, I don't know. Like, I, an all star should be healthy enough because he, it's a mid season all star game. You have to show that you you're like ready to play and and can play and and suit up as many games as possible. Like even Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis for me. I mean, what he's done on the court this year when he is healthy is remarkable. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, but, you know, he's missed a ton of time again. He's back in the lineup. He he will, in my opinion, play enough minutes by the time you get to All-Star if he stays on the court that you should consider him. I, I, I mean, I don't even think consider. He's a lock because of how good he's been. But is that fair? We're talking about teams that may get two All-Stars. LeBron James is going to be in the All-Star game. Yeah. Anthony Davis and, and the Lakers are the 13 seed. That, well, it's because everybody else on their roster maybe should be on an NBA <laughs> roster. Um, Fair I, enough. I think the issue is that it's just all subjective, right? Like the what is the minute threshold for yeah. how, for being eligible for an all-star? And like some people will say it's higher or lower than others, and that will split the votes. Like there's no – there's no def- definition or anything. So I, I think that's what makes this this conversation so complicated. Yeah. And like Paul George probably deserves an all-star bid. His team is good. Uh, he has missed time as well. But, you know, you just keep going up and down the list. You're like, you know, Luke is going to make it. He'll be a starter. Um, Steph Curry's going to make it no matter what. Uh, Laurie Marketing is probably going to make it because it's – in Utah and he's having a breakout like spectacular season. Um, I'm to me, I'm not huge on Aaron, the Aaron Gordon bandwagon for all-star. I mean, like I've watched him play enough that like there's, there's certain players in the league that come in and have this, this unlimited potential. And then they just kind of sit at a level where you're like, okay, you never really reached your potential. I'm not going to readjust like whether you're an all-star or not based on one season where you start to actually not even play to your potential, but your team is much better. And is he valuable? Yes. He's very valuable. Is he a good player? Yeah. He's a very, very good player. I just have a hard time with like, is he an all-star? 
I don't know. All-Star is like a different category. Yeah, so. I think it speaks more to uh, Jokic kind of enabling his teammates. Like to me, Aaron Gordon being so good in a way just strengthens uh, Jokic's MVP argument rather than catapults Gordon himself into all-star conversation. But do you use that same logic when you talk about Sabonis and Fox? Uh, not quite for De'Aaron. I mean, I always kind of thought that De'Aaron was flirting with all-star conversations prior I think it's more so that like there is team success. You know, I, I think that De'Aaron okay. already was kind of flirting with those conversations. Interesting. Yeah. And De'Aaron's averaging 23.8 and 6.1 assists per game. He's averaging 4.3 rebounds. Um, he's the best closer in the game. He's leading the league in like clutch points. Um, and uh, like on the ladder, the the clutch ladder, he he's, right. uh, you know, like number one in clutch on the season. I think if he gets in, a lot of it has to do with his clutch performances. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, the two things, the clutch performances and the fact that the Kings are the three seed. And, right. like, realistically, they're the talk of the league right now. Um, okay, let's uh, let's start talking about some of these other guys. Uh, Malik Monk had the big breakout game um, and then went right back to what we'd seen before. Um, like, we talked to Malik last night. Uh, I did get to ask him um, because Mike said, uh, Mike Brown said that they flat out got their ass kicked. Um, and I asked him if he thought they flat out got their ass kicked. And he said, yes. Um, like where are you at frustration level wise with him as, as a player? Because the yo-yo act is like, like I really like Malik Monk. I wrote really positive things about Malik Monk <laughs> and sort of his glue factor and like all of the positives that he brings to the table but like this has gone on for too long. I mean, we're talking about 24 games and he's had three good games in the 24, maybe not even three fully good games, but like it's a little rough. Very rough. Um, and if you think back to the beginning of the year, the beginning of the year was pretty rough too. Like he, he kind of just had this middle stretch where he was great and the rest of the year he's been pretty blah. Like I, I don't, Mike Brown got asked, like, do you ever get nervous when Malik has the ball in his hands and is making some passes? And and he said this while while chuckling, but he said, I'm always nervous when Malik has the ball in his hands. And I think everybody can relate to that. Like, sometimes he's going to make a great highlight. I thought that um, last night he was good, and there were moments where it looked like he was going to be a, a notable factor and potentially sparking a comeback. Um, and I, I think that off the court, like he is a, his personality is important. That's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. I think him being a connector, like you mentioned, a lot of that has to do with his personality mm -hmm. and, um, it, it's just, he has not been getting it done recently. And I think one of the quieter storylines that, that we've talked about, um, between ourselves, but not on here all too much has been just this weirdness has been going on with the conversation around Malik. Um, we've heard coach Brown say um, at one point, I, I guess I'll walk through from, from my perspective as somebody that's a little bit newer to this and trying to read between the lines, but not necessarily overreact too much and pick your brain when I feel like I'm picking up on things. But there was a time where coach Brown um, highlighted the importance of Malik Monk staying in the gym when he's going through these struggles. I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting, but 
um, you know, could just be something that he wants from every player that's struggling. And you heard De'Aaron at, at practice the day following that when he got asked about Malik's struggles, he started by saying with it's important he stays in the gym. And that was pretty much the line and then went into the typical, you know, but players have their ups and downs. And at that point, I'm like, okay, this is a little bit of a trend. And then the day after, I think it was a post game or, or pregame, Mike once again really was very clear that it is really important that when players are not getting um, that shots aren't falling and are struggling, that they are getting extra work. And to be clear, this isn't like hinting at like Malik's not doing what they want from him or having a bad attitude or anything like that during their scheduled practices and shoot arounds and everything. They're talking about extra time on top of that coming in the gym and getting work in. Um, and after the third time in a couple of days, I'm like, okay, clearly this is something that they wish was happening more often than it is. And then uh, when we finally got Malik yesterday for media availability, I asked him a little bit about his struggles and, and kind of how he's been dealing with that. And uh, he very clearly kind of went against those statements. In my mind, he's heard that and said uh, something along the lines of, I just need to, uh, you know, players have their ups and downs, but I just need to stay in the gym like I always do, get more shots up like I always do, um, and some other thing along the lines of, like, continue to work like I always do. And it, it's just, it's been a very weird like week or week and a half of Malik Monk conversations for me. Yeah. Like I was waiting for Harrison Barnes to pop in and yell, and Brendan, I'm not washed. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where you do start to pick up on these things. Like, hey, like, are they like pointing fingers? Um, Mike Brown has been doing that a little bit. He's been talking through the media and I know uh, like I, there are some, some people that are, not happy with me for saying something like uh like Malik Monk was unplayable for for almost two months. Like they're like, how could you say that? And I'm like, how can I say that? Like we had this this stretch of games before he had the good game where he had a near triple double, uh, which he knew very well, just so everyone knows, he knew very well that yeah. he almost had a triple double. Like he, Domas even talked to us like, yeah, like Malik was not happy with me for stealing his 10th rebound. Um, but you know, Malik had this game where he, he, he busted out for 33 points and almost single-handedly beat, uh, the Denver Nuggets. Right. And then we get down to the game where he had 13 points, nine rebounds and eight assists and almost had a triple double in the, uh, the win over Memphis. In the 11 games between those two, Malik averaged 8.7 points, 3.8 assists. He shot 32% from the field and 22.4% from three and was down to 18.4 minutes. Like we're talking, he's shooting 2.9, he's making 2.9 field goal attempts on nine. He's making 2.9 field goals on 9.1 attempts per game. Like this isn't, like he didn't look like the same player and and like, I don't know what the problem is. It could be an injury. It could be exhaustion. It could be a lot of things, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like if you're averaging eight points, 8.7 points on 32% from the field and 22.4% from three over an 11 game stretch, that's not good enough. Like if 
Terrence Davis did that? Terrence Davis wouldn't be in the rotation. If Chemezi Metu did that, Chemezi wouldn't be in the rotation. The fact that Malik had sort of built some some capital for himself by having a really, really good November, um, you know, I, I guess you're going to live with it. And you know what, what, like, sort of his energy brings to the team. But really, that's tough. Those stats are not... They're not good, and if you go all the way back to December 7th when this whole thing started, the, the trend started, it, we're looking at 24 games. Again, it's it's not been pleasant. It's been ugly, I mean, flat out. And so I, I hope that he finds himself because the Kings are a better team when he's right. Um, but, you, you know, we're talking 24 games, a guy shooting 36% from the field and 25.8% from three. That's not what you expect from him. Um, at least that's not what I think the Kings started to expect in December. So maybe, uh, like, well, in November. I think some re-evalu- reevaluation on who and what you thought Malik Monk was is probably in order. Yeah, and, and Coach has said that, like, you know, there will reach a point where I need to make a decision. But yeah. he's obviously not quite there yet. Um, you get closer with passing days if this continues. But at the same time, there's a reason you were able to get Malik Monk for two years, 19 million. Like, I do think he's a little bit of an up and down player. Um, yeah, that's this, true. These are extremes. I, I think we're going through an extreme low right now. But, you know, he's three days away, apparently, from, from being 25. Um, he's a young player. And, and to only be able to get him for that much after having a big year in L.A., I think, like... Th- Again, this is an extreme, but like Malik Monk is just a little bit of an up and down player. Um, I just thought the conversations were really weird to me. <laughs> yeah, super <laughs> weird. To it's me. fun. I, I like realistically, like he's going to keep playing. Yeah. Um. I, Mike Brown's not going to make a move that I can see. His other option is to either give give Davion Mitchell more minutes, which hasn't really worked out all that well, or to give Terrence Davis more minutes, which again. Either you catch lightning in a bottle with uh, with Terrence Davis, or the bottle completely slips out of your hand and breaks on the floor. <laughs> that there there is no middle ground. There is no the bottle hits the ground and bounces back up to you. There's none of that. It either shatters on the ground, or you know you catch lightning in a bottle. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what you do there. And and I don't think the Kings are going going to aggressively search out a different player uh, like that in in uh at the trade deadline or anything else so um all right so uh we also had this discussion i'm gonna write on this uh in the coming days um we had this interesting discussion with mike brown about uh the offense and how well the offense is working how well the offense isn't working um you know some of the things that they thought might happen with the offense that haven't happened but other things that have happened organically um i personally like i had a a really good time like asking questions of Mike Brown with that because it feels like we were waiting for the offense to add all these wrinkles, right? Like they're in an offense like this, there's usually, you know, a counter to the counter to the counter to the counter. And so you're waiting for players to initially get like the basics of the offense in. And then once you get the basics in, you know, you have like three options off of one, curl or you have three options off of one cut to the basket where you can go and I I don't think we've seen as much as that as we've seen 
they just keep getting better and better and better at the basics and at running what it is that they're trying to do. And um, I don't know, what were your takeaways from that conversation, Brendan? Because uh, like to me, it was it was intriguing how Mike even brought up like some of the organic things that have grown in this offense that they didn't the, the coaches didn't even see. They didn't even have them in their playbook. But all of a sudden, you know, they're there they are. They're showing up and you're you're taking advantage of the um, sort of the the specific skill set of each player and and then something different is is being created because those those skill sets are different from one player to the next and from one team to the next and they're just seeing some interesting stuff uh, grow from that offense it's all very reactionary I don't think there's like a black and white you need to do this on every single possession but more so um, the players at their own discretion own discretion have options on how they want to go about things and uh, to your point, when I, I think it was Mike, you asked about this about the other day, and and he was the one that pointed out like um, the players were the one that added this new sort of high low wrinkle that uh, when Harrison sets that pin down and somebody comes off every once in a while, there's a screen there or there's a switch and Harrison is able to um, kind of keep his defender on his back and they're able to hit Domas and, and do a bit of a high low. And we've seen um Harrison Barnes get easy down low post up I guess you could say opportunities there and that was a wrinkle that was totally added that the players had pointed out and I think kind of to your point that you're talking about here like it's Herder said at the beginning of the year they want to get to a point where they could be unguardable and I think or unscoutable is, is the term and that is so much to do with like I like I said like there's not you're supposed to do this every single time but just sort of feel out how you are being defended. And if one person cuts to this side of the floor from the other, then you get your, your Jay Triano Canada cut or, or you get different read and react sort of scenarios that happen here. And I think we've seen that continue to develop. Obviously it's been successful. They're first in offensive rating. They're putting up the most points per game in the entire league. Like I looking the other day and realizing they're averaging 120 is insane to average 120 in my mind when you put up 120 it's like oh what a great offensive game for the kings like oh that's another night you know average day in the office um so i I think they've been absolutely phenomenal i think we will continue to see more wrinkles especially as teams continue to figure them out you know what we're 40 some games into this year of of this offense it took the kings about 10 to figure it out themselves it's going to take opposing teams even longer to to figure out how to counter and eventually we'll see that maybe we've started to as of late um and and then it's going to be about how they continue to react from there but the offense has been absolutely phenomenal which is just as much a credit to this coaching staff but also to just having extremely high iq players i think that's one of the biggest things that changed throughout the course of this offseason um, which also credit is owed to the front office for the guys that they brought in. But Kevin Herter is a really smart basketball player. He has great skills as a shooter, a a passer when need be, uh, his mid-range game as well, but he's smart. Harrison Barnes, obviously an extremely smart player. I think that Keegan Murray fits into that, and you've seen him grow so much more comfortable. Um, while Malik Monk can be a little bit erratic, I think that he's a smart basketball player. Like There are so many just extremely intelligent players that allow this read and react offense to work the way that it has. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I don't remember what game it was, but 
uh, early in the season, you remember there was the 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 point where um, Jordy Fernandez called like the same play 15 consecutive plays in a row, and then they went to stop the play, and that's when they discovered that right over the top was Harrison Barnes sitting there by himself under the basket, and they ended up burying a team like three times in a row with with layups or dunks uh, between I think it was Chemezi and Harrison. And I don't remember what game that was, but it's like, it's fun to watch because what I've seen is that, um, you know, Domas and, and De'Aaron both are getting better at hitting their shooters in, in each individual shooter's specific, like, shooter pocket. Like, everyone's different. How they come off a screen is different. Everyone's different how they, they wait for a ball in the perimeter to shoot. Uh, I think Domas and De'Aaron are figuring out exactly where each of their players are and, and how they like the ball delivered so they're ready to fire. And that's how we, we had the game the other night where they had 22 threes, including 10 uh, straight to open the game. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting thing to watch because this team will continue to get better as they learn each other. And, and it kind of brings us to um, one of our final topics which you just wrote about Keegan Murray uh, for the Kings Herald. And, um, you, you know, Brendan, like what we're watching from him is really amazing. Sorry if you, anyone hears construction out the at the window. My neighbors are having a deck put in, which has taken way longer than I would have thought. Um, and my lights keep flickering every time they turn on a skill saw. So that's probably something I'll be looking at after we're done with the podcast because <laughs> I'm going to wonder why my lights are flickering while they're running a skill saw next door. Uh, but bygones uh so sorry if you hear the noise um but brendan like we're seeing the maturation of a young player and we're seeing as keegan gets more comfortable he's able to show more and more and more of the player he can be and we're seeing more of summer league keegan than we are first two months of the season keegan at this point i've been blown away um i've very guilty of somebody that's placed the low ceiling label on Keegan and um, he's just done so much throughout the course of these last, I mean, it's been nine games now since coach called him out for rebounding. And in those nine games, prior to those nine games, um, he was averaging 3.8 rebounds per game. Right. And then coach calls him out and that 3.9 has since jumped up to 6.3. Um, which is is phenomenal. He's had two double-doubles throughout the course of that. One was without Domas, but then Domas comes back the game after, and he has 14 boards. He had a game with 29 and 14. Like, it, it was absurd. Um, and then I think that you're also seeing progress when it comes to his finishing. You know, I, I don't have um, the numbers that include last game, but in his first 39 games, he was finishing 59% within four feet of the basket. And then um, in his five most recent games, not including last night's game against Toronto, that number had jumped up to 70. Um, he, he'd been such a good finisher around the rim. And to me, it just looks like an adjustment to the NBA. I think that every rookie is going to have their adjustment. Um, and to me, for Keegan, it looked like it was physicality being the big thing. And, and he said, like, you know, we've played a lot of games. Of course, it was just going to be a matter of time before he got adjusted. And I think he said that uh, he wished it would have happened earlier, but this is kind of when it's happening. 
And you could just so clearly see it between the rebounding, the finishing. I think he's rotating quicker on defense, recognizing that faster that um, you can't react as it's happening. You have to be there prior to it. And Coach Brown is always talking about doing your work early. I think that Keegan is absolutely doing that. Um, just little things of like, if if guys are closing out on him, he's putting the ball on the floor and, and getting into his mid-range game. And and Coach has talked so glowingly about how good his, his pull-up game is. And I think this is where you kind of see the Chris Middleton comparison that's been floated around, even by, by Keegan himself saying that somebody he looked up to right after he was drafted. Um, that like, I, I've just been so blown away. And it's genuinely changed my perspective on Keegan Murray throughout the course of these last five, eight games. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to like, I didn't think that he doesn't have a high ceiling. I thought that players around him have a higher ceiling in, in the draft. And I think that's a distinction that I would make. Like, I really like Keegan Murray, uh, like, when he was going, like, to the Big East tournament. And I watched a bunch of games, and I thought, okay, like, I really like him. He's smooth. He does – he's quiet. He's, you know, like, he's just uh, a dude who glides around the the court. Um, I did have some concerns about sort of how a lot of his stuff would translate. I didn't think he would be as bad as he was as a rebounder early in his career. Um, and I'm glad that he's starting to figure it out that it, it really is like effort, energy, physicality to go get rebounds. He had a rebound last night where he jumped through everybody and went up high for a rebound. And I was like, holy cow, like that was a, a spectacular rebound, especially against a team like Toronto that's long and athletic and, and crazy physical. Um, the dunks that he's had, he had the game where he, he got the rebound like in the middle of the key and then leaped through everybody for like a two-handed hammer. And I was like, okay, look, he's figuring it out. Like, that is what we were hoping we would see, where it really does come down to, like, physicality. Uh, It comes down to, you know, like, skill level is one thing. He has the skill level. And, and again, I'll equate it to, like, soccer. Like, I've been watching uh, my son coach the high school team, and one of my sons playing on the high school team. And we have these kids that really don't know soccer that well, but as their skills start to develop and develop – they start getting more confidence in like, but then they get smashed one time by somebody who knows how to play soccer, who's playing on another team and runs them over and is a full grown man. And they, they kind of lose their confidence a little bit again. And then you have to keep building them back up and building them up. And then by the end of the season, we're starting to see like these aha moments from these young kids, which is really fun to watch because they still don't have the skill set that you, you would hope that they would have because they're just, you know, new to the game or whatever. But you're watching them grow in incremental steps as their confidence and they start learning the physicality of the game. And for me, like, I, I don't even know that I had that much like question mark about Keegan's, like, would he adjust? Yeah, he's going to adjust. Every player does. Um, you know, it's not like, I think Davion Mitchell came out one of the first games of his career. Maybe it was the first game of his career last year and his performance against Donovan Mitchell was just like off the charts. You're like, holy cow, did you just see what happened? He just like, he was draped all over him. Well, people have made adjustments to what, how they, they deal with Davion Mitchell, and he needs to make more adjustments to continue to improve as a player. When it comes to Keegan, I just like the ceiling, like I thought he could be a 20 point scorer, um, but I wasn't sure that 
like his ceiling was above a like third option, maybe a low level second option on a good team. We're starting to see that his ceiling might be as like a really good number two option on a, on a quality team. That's what I think we're starting to see with the potential for him to be something else. You don't know if he'll reach that something else. Like, but if we look at Chris Middleton and we want to use that as a comp, Chris Middleton is really good. He's not Giannis. And right. so like, I mean, that's where I'm still going to like say, okay, I'm not going to limit who I totally think he can be, but I am going to say that he's probably more in this range than in, you know, a lower range. And I think he's been really good. I, I, I still think that, like, the potential of a guy like Jaden Ivey could be higher, but the the bust potential is way higher as well. So I think, you know, the the Kings, to to steal a line from somebody uh, that we, we heard this week, um, they, they know what they know and what they're comfortable with, and they're going to stick with that. Like their confidence level in what they thought he could be was high and it's still really high and he's not going anywhere. They have no interest in trading him at all. The Kings believe that he's going to be a star. They believe he's going to be better than Laurie Marketing. What Laurie Marketing is today. That's pretty high praise. And I, I think we're seeing the development as we get into the season. And it, Brennan, is kind of cool. It's kind of cool to see for you to get to see a player like that, because in my career covering this team, there's really only like one or two players that have ever taken the step where you're like, they go from, you know, the player they are in their rookie season, the player they are in their second year. And then they progress past that. Usually they get stalled out right there. I can even tell you like Tyreek Evans, best season as a pro (laughs) was his first season. Yeah. DeMarcus cousins. He kept growing and kept getting better, and you kept going, holy cow, this guy's great. Jimmer Fredette, Thomas Robinson, Nick Stauskas, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, Yorgos Papianis. Um, like, I-, I bring all these names up, like Harry Giles, Justin Jackson, Malachi Richardson, Scalabi Sierra. Like, they all became who they were at, those are all first-round picks. Like, early <laughs> in their career, they became who they were going to be, and then they weren't ever able to progress. Jason Thompson, same thing. So the the one other guy outside of DeMarcus that we've seen who goes from, you know, uh, an okay rookie year to a really good sophomore season to taking the huge leap and keep growing and getting better um, is De'Aaron mm-hmm. a- as a prospect, as a draft pick in Sacramento. And so to maybe get to see one in your, like, your second season that could go from, like, a really good rookie – to a excellent sophomore to, oh my gosh, they found another 20 point scorer. That's going to be fun to watch. And, you know, does it have something to do with he's a number four pick or that he's a mature player? Maybe a little bit, but that doesn't matter. Like the Thomas Robinson was a fourth pick, you know, Jimmer was a 10th pick, Ben McLemore and Nick Stauskas, I think were both number eight. Like the, the Kings have had enough swings and misses in the top end of the draft. Even a guy like Davion, a guy like, Marvin Bagley, where they just never figure out that way to become like a solid, really good, like high-end rotational player at the NBA level. Um, that that's gonna stick. So, yeah. And it, if if Keegan is just, and maybe that's 
wrong to say just, but like a great third option, that's fine. Now, I will say like my perspective on the pick would have been way different if I believed that the core that was already in place was as good as it's proven to be. I didn't expect this at all. That's Um, a good point. Like if if I would have known that this team was a top six seed in the West, the Keegan pick would have made a lot more sense to me. I will say like a lot of my criticism of the pick at the time had to do with like, well, like I, I predicted them to be 10th at the beginning of the year when I sat and like tried to make my Western conference predictions. And it was like, I had to talk myself out of not being 11th to be honest. Um, so like a lot of it had to do with like, you're not in a spot where you can take the safe player because Keegan's going to be a good NBA player, but like, how often do you get an opportunity of a star and you still need another guy that's going to take this team to another level? Turns out De'Aaron and Domas can take this team to another level. And I just didn't fully believe that or, or expect that. So I will say like, I, I just think that my perspective on the Keegan pick has changed so much because of how good the other pieces have been around them and how much better they have been than I expected them to be. Yeah. And, and I'll go back to last off season, not this last off season, but the one before that. Like, I think, like, in your first year, you kind of got your hand smacked for reaching, like, you thought that, like, the team was going to be better, that the core was good enough. And we found out very quickly last season's core just wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. And then a lot of the players they return with are that core, except for Domas has swapped out. Then we have, like, these nice moves and Malik Monk and and Kevin Herter, but they're not over-the-top moves. So, like you're perfectly within your rights to say that I thought this was a 10th seed. I, I thought that they were probably between 11 and six, six being if everything went right, everything went right. And that could still be accurate that like that could be their ceiling by the end of the season. I don't know yet. Like we need to see what they do on this seven game road trip. And, and then the 25 game sprint after the all-star break, when teams either are going for it or God awful, when, teams like the Clippers and the Warriors and, um, you know, name that mature team, the Suns, all start to tone, uh, tune up for the playoffs and they start going at you, that's when you're really going to find out who the Sacramento Kings are. It's not today. And it probably won't even be at this seven-game road trip. The seven-game road trip, what it will do is it will help you build a buffer for what's about to happen in the final 25 games. That's what it does. And even like a team like Dallas, which they're going to go into, I think that's a good tune-up. You're going to see Dallas, Dallas, Phoenix to end the uh, the pre-All-Star break schedule. Those three games are going to show you more than what these seven games will show you because those are legitimate teams that you're going to be competing with and are either going to be clawing to catch up to you or are going to be like teams that aren't ready to play and aren't ready to perform at, at that level. And it's possible that both of those teams could still be fading. We don't know. Uh, but I think you're going to learn a lot about this team in in that little group of games leading into the All-Star break. Um, yeah. these the, February is going to be interesting. Um, three home games in the entire three month. Three home games. I know there's and, the All-Star break The two break are back-to-back. Back. Yeah. I know there's <laughs> the All-Star break during it, but that's still crazy. I mean, it, it is. I, I didn't totally count wild. how many we had in January, but it was a whole lot. Um, and in December, like, I feel like we've been home a lot. So it, it'll be interesting to see how February goes. 
Yeah, I'm road weary because I've been driving so much. Like, and and I'll keep saying this: like, people don't like whatever. You can take it any way you want. Like, this is my ninth head coach. No one, no one has as many practices, as many shoot arounds <laughs> as Mike Brown. Like, I have never been like we are worn out. Like this seven game road trip. Thank God. Like uh, for all of us that are here, like because if we have games on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have practice on Tuesday, when, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Um, and on top of that, Mike Brown has a shoot around every single day. Like there, like there was a point where uh, where Luke Walton shifted the shoot around to four o'clock in the afternoon, and oh. so we would have a shoot around from like four to four thirty, and. When you got to the arena, they would have the lo- the bowl closed and all the curtains drawn so you couldn't watch the action on the floor. And they would do their shoot around, their walkthrough for 30 minutes before, uh, you know, from like 4 to 4.30 or 4 to 4.45. Um, and we weren't allowed in. No. We're allowed in every single practice, every single shoot around. Like, it's, it's a bear, right? Like, how many times have we been there, like, in the last month and a half? I probably 30 plus 30 plus times in the arena like it's it's quite a bit my uh my roommate called me and asked me if i was alive yesterday i'm uh never home never home my As wife yesterday at 9 30 i went to walk out to the door to go to shoot around she goes i'll see you tomorrow yeah like that's it's been a wild run. which is like 9 30 for you 10 o'clock like what AM, like you're leaving and hearing from your wife, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes. At yeah. nine thirty in the morning I left and she said, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time I got I mean, I got home at like eleven thirty, uh, you know, people are already in bed. You know, yeah. sometimes I get to see the boys because they're still hanging out. But uh yeah, it it's been a wild ride because Mike like likes to practice and like look, it's working. So uh, like I'm not complaining. I'm just ex- like explaining. Right. Like this, this team works really, really, really hard. They're the most prepped I've ever seen out of any team I've ever covered. Um, they're the best team that I've ever covered for sure. As far as like Sacramento Kings teams, like I got to cover the Golden State Warriors during their incredible runs. I mean, like even like the 73 win season when they blew it in the playoffs, um, like I was there throughout the whole playoffs. So I've seen like incredible basketball, um, but not in Sacramento, not like this. So it's kind of interesting to watch. Um, all right, Brennan, we're going to wrap this thing up pretty quick. Uh, do you have any uh, – well, we. how about we do this? The business of basketball. We, I don't, we didn't do a business of basketball the other day. It's hard to do business of basketball on live shows because there's so many people talking and stuff. Um, your conversations around the team, um, are they changing your opinions on what you think is going to happen between now and – and uh and february 9th i don't think that like a big swing for a third guy is realistic i i think that um i don't know that i ever thought that would happen but i thought that there was a chance and kind of um through conversations and and kind of just thinking it through like you need to prove that you are actually just one piece away before the Kings are going to spend draft equity to go get just what would be viewed as like one more piece because we've seen Atlanta make the Eastern conference finals and 
then go make a big swing and like look at where they're at now. We saw Chicago be a great team last year and look at where they're at now. And I know like there's a difference in head coaches. There's there's injury struggles for both these teams, but like we've heard Coach Brown talk so much about the importance of playoff experience, and this team doesn't have much at all. Like when he he mentions Harrison Barnes, and the next guy he mentions is Matthew Delavadova. Like this team does not have playoff experience. And I think until you prove in the postseason that you are in fact one piece away, that you shouldn't go make a swing where you're moving a, a Keegan Murray. And honestly, at this point, Harrison Barnes or whatever draft equity when it comes to first rounders, second rounders, whatever. Um, but when it comes to first rounders um, to just go add one more piece to put you over the top, because we don't know if they're actually there yet. Like regular season wins are great, but we don't know when it comes to postseason. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm ready for for these trades to actually happen, though, man. How long have I has it felt like we've been talking about the trade deadline <laughs> and nothing's happening? Like we saw Rui get moved for Kendrick Nunn and and three second rounders, but like, can people just start making trades already? Like, how, how far away are we? We have two weeks from today, actually, um, before the trade deadline. I'm ready for moves to finally happen. I think if the Kings are going to do anything, it's it's things on kind of the fringe of the roster. I think the three guys that stand out are Terrence Davis, Alex Len, and Rashawn Holmes. Yep. And uh, whatever second round picks they have. Um, I, I think it's what well, we talked about this the other day. I think it's like 10 or nine second rounders that they have. Um, they have four from other teams and then all of their own, except they can't use the 26 and 27 because technically those are locked up through the herder Atlanta deal. Um, so I think if there's anything, it's it's fringe moves, but I certainly don't expect any sort of big swing for a third star. I think Harris Martin's Keegan Murray will still be, still be on this team. Um, yeah, but I'm ready for things to happen already. Okay. Uh, League-wide. It's funny. Like, we forget Herder was in the Eastern Conference Finals just a couple of years ago, right? Um, yeah. But but outside of that, that's right. uh, I mean, did – did the Lakers make the, the Lakers didn't make the playoffs last year? Uh, so Malik Monk wasn't there. Um, uh, you have to go back. The last time Harrison Barnes made the playoffs, he was 23. <laughs> the seven years ago, it was a 2016 season. The last time Matthew Delavadova made the, the playoffs, he was on the Milwaukee Bucks in 2018 and 2017. He was on the Bucks. He won a championship uh, in 2016 against Harrison Barnes and and I think he lost he lost the finals uh the year before against Harrison Barnes right um yeah he lost the 2015 finals um but that's the last time these guys really had like actual playoff experience like like I I don't even know what to make of all that like it's that's why there's a process in the NBA you make the playoffs and, and you get thumped and then you grow from that, and you might get thumped the next year, but it might be closer. Then the year after that, you usually try to take a step forward. Like, there is usually a process for this. You don't usually go from 16 years of not making the playoffs to the number three seed in the Western Conference. It's not typically how it goes. So that might be why we're a little gun-shy. Um, okay, so let's finish with this. Uh, the uh, Like, I had conversations. I, I actually ran into Monty yesterday on the court uh, in pregame. Uh, congrats to Monty and Wes. I, I ran into Wes as well on the court. Uh, you know, handshakes and, you know, good for you guys. Uh, I personally, like, I've 
covered, this is my fourth general manager. Um, I'm excited for these guys because I think they've done the, the work to get themselves uh, more time to build this thing out and to, to you know, they deserve monster raises. Uh, they were not highly paid coming into this job. And um, again, this is Monty McNair's first time running his own team. I think what he's been able to do is absolutely impressive. But there's something else that Monty talked to me about that I think we had missed and I, I want to bring up and, and kind of point out too. Um, when the Kings uh, decided, when, you know, Vivek Ranadive decided to uh, extend these two, um, they also extended a lot of other people, uh, or at least potentially extended. Um, there's a huge group of people behind the scenes, analytics people, uh, you know, medical staff, training staff, uh, media relations staff, that uh, are usually attached to the front office and whoever's running that front office. So when uh, Monty and uh, Wes got their extensions, that means that a lot of people just got some job stability that they did not have. They didn't, like, uh, Monty even mentioned that, like, they had one person move out with their family, with, with uh, like, wife and kids um, from Utah, and they couldn't promise them anything other than June. Like, we're going to roll the dice here and hope that we're here long term, but like, come on aboard. If you want, we're going to extend a job offer, but we understand if you turn it down because we can't guarantee that we're going to be here beyond June. And that person said, I'm in and took the job. They had someone else who moved from, uh, I think it was Texas or Florida, um, who they had to say the same thing. Like, hey, we would love to have you, but we understand if there's a job out there that makes more sense to you because of long-term, long-term stability. So, um, like big thumbs up to all these guys that not only got their extension, but you know, everyone got taken care of sort of in a roundabout way. And, uh, that's, it's stability. That's what stability looks like. And so, uh, like super excited for a lot of people who don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the coming months. They, they now feel a lot safer in what they're doing. And, uh, when you're safe and you feel good, Usually, uh, you do a better job. You're, you're more focused on what's in front of you and not what's next. And so, to me, that's a good thing. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Very so, well deserved. Yeah. Brandon, do you have any final thoughts? Um, Just to, I guess we're still within the Pacific Division here, but off of the Kings, like, I kind of feel like we could be witnessing uh, the beginning of the end of the Golden State Warriors. <gasps> like, this Bob Myers thing is very interesting. Um, Draymond Green is expiring. Andrew Wiggins is expiring. Steph Curry. I thought Wiggins made... got his extension. Am I crazy? Did he? Maybe I, I read this wrong when I was looking at a spell track the other day. Yeah, I thought Wiggins. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I'll, I'll look it up while you go ahead. Keep talking. Um, but that piece that Sam Amick, along with, I think it was Anthony Slater and Marcus Thompson put out, uh, Steph Curry made it clear the importance of Bob Myers to him. Like, it's just going to be very interesting to see how this goes. And, and you're right. Andrew Wiggins did get his contract extension. Yep. I totally missed that. Uh, so for four more years, um, but I, it's just going to be interesting to see how this all kind of unfolds and obviously direct correlation of the Kings team. They play four times in a year and yeah, just I, it's, it's interesting. I never would have thought that, uh, that would be the team that we're looking at is like, Oh, well, you know, is their GM going to come back? It's unexpected. Yeah. I, I think the key to like, if you're the Kings, the key is to be going like this 
while some of your competition is going like this. Yep. And uh, like we're seeing that dip, and we're going to see that dip with the Lakers, although they always seem to reload. Uh, I think the Warriors, even the Clippers, are not young. You're seeing this is a perfect time for the Kings, and that's why I will always keep open the option of them swinging for the fences because you see the window that's that's open. It's a jar. <laughs> it's open about this much. If you can just throw that thing up and like jump through that window, then you know I, I think they have an opportunity here to uh, you know again Portland. Like how much? How many more years did Dame Lillard get to be Dame Lillard? Right. And like you're way ahead of sh- like where they're at with Shaden Sharp. You know, like if he's going to be the next guy, maybe Simons is is one of the next guys. But you're seeing, you know, there's a handful of teams that are building teams right now that should be good for the next three to five years. And you want to be one of those teams. You want to be in with New Orleans. You want to be in with Memphis. You want to be in with uh, with Denver while they're running through sort of their prime years and uh, not one of those teams that are are looking around going, oh, we're getting old. Yeah. Yeah. And not long ago, the Warriors were um the kings the kangs uh yeah i think what they made the playoffs once in 19 years yeah my dad was uh my i grew up in the bay area my dad was a warriors fan growing up and all i remember is him screaming at the tv it was never enjoyable games (laughs) and you understand the kings and warriors have never i don't think in the 37 going on 38 years the kings have been in sacramento the kings and warriors have never been in the playoffs at the same time wow how about wow. that for a stat? This could be the first year ever, and you could end up playing the Warriors. That's why you need to keep winning. Just do, just do what you can. Keep winning. Yeah. Uh, win as many games as possible, and, and hope for the best. And uh, you know, and then you'll figure it out down the road. Uh, a couple of like, well, small note. Uh, Casey Akpala was sent to Stockton, uh, which I think was a bit of a surprising move, just because they haven't done it with him before. Like we got so used to the. Chima Moneki bouncing back and forth between Stockton and Sacramento, um, but he is with the uh, with the Stockton Kings tonight. I expect KZ to get called right back up after the game on Thursday night and travel with the Kings on the seven game trip. I think it's just an opportunity to get KZ uh, out there to stretch his legs and and let him play a little bit because during this time of year there is not a lot of contact in practice. And for a guy like that who's not getting minutes, that's that's probably a pretty big issue. Um, was there something else? Oh, the Stockton Kings are good. So uh, hat tip to Bobby Jackson. Last time, last time I looked at him, nine, ten and two. Okay, nine and two. We we ran into me and Brennan ran into Bobby late last night, uh, walking through the the tunnel, uh, walking through the hallway. Um, good for Bobby Jackson. You know, like he he has not been exiled and forgotten about in uh in stockton he's he's doing a good job there um lastly uh like safe travels and everything to our friend sean cunningham sean's not with us today because he is going to the nfc championship game in philadelphia uh the san francisco 49ers and eagles will face off on sunday uh should be a incredible game between to me like two very 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 good teams and you know, I hope the Niners win because I'm a Niners fan, uh, but uh, that's going to be a tough game. That's a, a very, very good Philadelphia Eagles team. Uh, all right, Bernie, you got anything else? Um, I do not. I do not. I've been okay. exhausted recently. I'm ready for this road trip. <laughs> I think we're ready for this road trip. And hey, uh, Brendan's been doing a ton of work over at the, the King's Pulse. 
uh, podcast. He's been doing like post game shows and stuff. So give him some love. Uh, go go and watch some of his stuff after games. Um, I'll walk up and him and like sometimes mm-hmm. by himself, sometimes with Chris uh Watkins sometimes uh Leo Bias is off to the side yelling and screaming at his uh Instagram followers. I'm not sure what's happening there. Um but uh you know, make sure you're you're giving uh Brendan some love over at the King's Pulse. Um appreciate it. 10 minutes after this, I'm uh hopping on with a Charlotte Hornets cover to talk about Mason Plumley, PJ Washington, Kelly Oubre. I think the other McDaniels is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, um, Trying to get some perspective. Jalen and Jaden, right? Yeah. And I think that, um, God, I mix these names up. I'm pretty sure Jaden is the one in Minnesota that has really emerged, but Jalen quietly has been, has been having a pretty good year. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one in Minnesota is, uh, what Washington, uh, and he is coming along. Uh, he was like incredibly talented. Uh, he fell to the second round, which was a shock in the 2019 draft. Um, but he's really, really coming along as like a nice two-way player. Um, as far as Jaden, uh, you know, I haven't done a lot of research on him, but um, I would be leery on on players who are developing on teams that aren't very good. Yeah. Uh, but their stats, the two McDaniel stats, are almost identical, except for the one in Charlotte is a much better three-point shooter. Um, so that's something. Uh, yeah, there's going to be options out there for the Sacramento Kings if they if they want to, you know, sort of dig deep here and. Uh, so enjoy your podcast. Uh, I did get asked uh, one thing about whether uh, we can go back. Well, whether I will start doing interview shows uh, where we'll bring in other people. That might happen, uh, Where, but it would probably be flying solo uh, just because it's really hard to do interviews in this format with like three people. And Sean and Brendan and I have good rapport and, and we kind of like the show that we're doing. So it would be something completely different. Um, but it's something I'll keep in the back of my head and maybe I, I can fire up as we get deeper into the season. Uh, lastly, um, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, but if you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, uh, subscribe, subscribe to the Kings beat, the Kings beat.com, uh, subs- become a premium subscriber and you will get the invitation to, uh, February 2nd from five thirty to seven 30. We're doing off the record with the Kings beat virtual happy hour, part 11, the columnist with Aileen Boisson, who covered the Sacramento Kings for a long, for decades, uh, and is an absolute groundbreaker. And uh, she's got some wild stories, and I think she will be uh, like unfiltered. And uh, it should be a very, very intriguing and fun show to watch. Uh, so for Brenda Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast. Uh, I am James Hamby, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Thanks for joining us here on the Kings Beat Podcast. We'll see you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.